Here's a disclaimer. The views expressed in this podcast belong to us and only us and are not the views of employers or affiliated parties. This podcast may also contain some offensive subject matter. Hello and welcome to this episode of Active Life. I'm Tech Rival, and joining me is my co-host and your resident academic, Sian Hellingerman. Uberrashung! <laughs> that sounded like your jingle. Like, if you're Should on German radio, that would be your jingle. Surprise! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> In your voice, but like really auto tuned. <laughs> That'd be good. Turn into a whole uh, song. Guten Tag, ich bin Sean Hellingman and it, and du höre den Programmen Sean Hellingman. And that's that's it. <laughs> yeah, almost. I absolutely nailed that. So, uh, you an HR fan? <laughs> um. <laughs> that was seamless. See, maybe I should have your German radio station. As soon as I learn a bit more German, I'm fucking coming for you. <laughs> I need, I need my own. Me? Can I use your jingle? <laughs> so as I get uh, 20 cents an episode for it. Cents. You don't even know what the episode makes per episode. You're just like, yep, I'll settle for 20 cents. That's fine with me. That'll stack up. Yeah. Well, I'm, assu- I'm assuming it's a daily show at least. Well, I haven't decided yet. I've got to meet the producers. <laughs> I just ousted you. I'm just getting started. Oh, this is some tangent. We're a long way from home. Um, to, to answer your question, uh... I was pretty indifferent before this, and I'm currently pretty indifferent as well. <laughs> yeah, so indifferent. Um, yeah, well, we're talking about human re- what what is labelled as human resources within the military. Um, and it's, we'll get onto it, but I think it's a very generous. Yep, yeah, it's a very generous term for a high pressure situation. Um, but that's what we're talking about. So. HR fans rejoice. The listener, an avid HR fan, as we know. So, in the um, human resource management review. Oh, yes. It just gets better and better. But, Great. Uh, yeah. All right. Well, we better, we better get into it. I mean, this is, this is too much suspense. It's too much. Let's get into it then. Configurations of human resource practices and battlefield performance. A comparison of two armies. Max Fisser. You see, this is the introductory part uh, where you figure out why Sean has picked this paper. Um, The German pronunciations. It's basically a Duolingo exercise, this paper, for you. Except no feedback. Could be. Well, I'm sure you'll have something to say. Abuse, yeah, not not like, not like, da-ding! Dopamine. Uh-oh, he's done it. Right in the veins. Tested out of two units of French today. Back on Ooh. the horse. Back on February it, nice. resolution coming in nicely. 
Chinese New Year. Lunar New Year. Yeah, that's what I'm about. All the New Best Year's time to make resolutions. New cheese. Um, wow. All right. Let's get no. on track here. <laughs> um, so a prominent theme to read the abstract before we get any further down uh, the rabbit hole. A prominent theme in the HRM literature, um, human resource management literature, is the organizational impact of configurations or, in quotation marks, bundles of human resource practices mostly researched in business firms because you know that's generally where hr happens in a business environment it's literally designed you know if you know if you are an hr fan you haven't really answered my question on that you're indifferent but hr generally happens in businesses so um, that's it all. does yeah okay but but this 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 visa guy he's trying to bring it to the battlefield and uh, argue about the German army and the U.S. army, respectively. Um, quite in- right. It's really interesting. It, it's really good. What, what were you going to say? I don't remember. Oh, that was quick. No, it was um, it was interestingly put together. I'm yeah. Not sure about everything that uh, Max has to say, but. Interestingly put together. Yeah, it's some interesting concepts. It's it's quite the hills that he's choosing to to die on. Many hills um, that we will explore. But Sean, the various ways in which organizations configure or bundle their human resource practices (laughs) have important consequences for employee attitudes and behaviors um, and through these for organizational performance. How important do you think HR is in in a daily professional environment? I don't know. It's good. I mean, they're there, aren't they? Of my my jobs, many hats that I wear. Many. They, uh, yeah, I don't know. They give me some paperwork to sign and then (laughs) that's it. They love a form. They love a form. Yeah. So you're giving them information, signing away various liabilities. Have all my, uh, my tax numbers and address, identity fraud yeah. all they want. HR is one of those departments that sends you paperwork. It's like, oh, you, we've updated our paperwork and we, you are required to sign in three days. And it's like, I didn't ask you to update the paperwork. And now you're putting something on me. Like, we've done something to justify our existence. And you've got to validate it or you're sacked. Whoa, yeah, maybe, maybe it is just like an Illuminati type thing. HR just exists yeah. for HR's sake. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> they create their own business. Exactly. <laughs> We're on to them. Oh. Uh, so, yeah, go. we can't carry on that. Go, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> wow. Therefore, in the past two decades, practitioners and researchers alike have developed a keen interest in discovering the best bundle of HR practices. Oh, there isn't one. That's, so that, yeah, it's like, uh, yeah, when we get to the definitions that we don't really go back to, but uh, yeah, anyway, those are my, uh, I'm already complaining we're still in the introduction. I'm sorry, listener. <laughs> one of my favorite 
one of my favourite sentences from the whole paper is the introduction. Um, so I'll, I'll read the first bit uh, first, because otherwise it won't make any sense. But army organisations relatively seldom have been studied by HRM researchers, although there are some exceptions, and then cites four, uh, three pieces of work. Which causes for this neglect may be found in a general academic disinterest in, or even repugnance to, <laughs> and a stereotypical view of the military. Um, so they think that academics hate the military. But um, <laughs> my favourite sentence is, they, armies, represent centuries of experience in selecting, training and managing personnel for arguably the most competitive and turbulent situation any organisation may encounter. Now, they could have stopped there, but luckily... <laughs> We know what they're talking about. That's kind of what the military does. And then it goes on to finish the sentence, i.e. actual war, not fake war, actual war. Thanks for clearing that up, Max. <laughs> well, they wouldn't want us to be, be left to fill in the blanks on that one. The most competitive and turbulent situa- situation any organization may encounter, i.e. the cafeteria. That would have that helped because we would have thought it was war. But if it were the cafeteria, that would be surprising. That's how IE works, Max. Got it. Got it. Okay, got well, that, that, was, that was just something that really tickled me. That's good. That's good. Uh, a, re- a reoccurring... Holy man. A recurrent finding in the literature is the yeah, configurations of high-performance HR practices generally have a more positive effect on employee attitudes okay. and behavior and on organizational performance... Uh, than configurations of traditional HR practices. That would mean a lot to me if I happen to be an HR fan. It actually yeah. means nothing to me. Not listed. Point. You know, the traditional HR practices. Surprising that the high-performance HR practices are so good. I mean, that's, that's something that you just didn't see coming. <laughs> the high-performance are better than wow. the traditional ones? You're telling what? me they have a higher a higher level of performance. Wow, that's that's why they pay them the big bucks. What's that? What's that sentence? I'm overthinking it. Read the next sentence. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> Whoa. Kind of, it goes into crusader mode now. In this paper, I contend first. I don't like saying I in a paper. We've talked about this before. Yeah. Um, that these two configurations are exemplified in respectively the German army and the US army. Would have put that respectively at the end of the sentence personally. In World War II. And second, that these configurations can be reasonably related to a relatively more effective battlefield performance of the German versus the US army. Um and then there's kind of an itinerary now that they kind of gives you a leaflet of what's going to happen in the paper rather than just getting onto it. What's to prepare you? This paper will proceed as follows. Um, and then he kind of outlines what we're going to read. So uh, my supervisor really insists that I do this as well in my writing. Really? And I'm not a huge fan of it, but no, they're in charge. So. Mm-hmm. They're the high-performance supervisors. HR. So I'm really excited to learn about what a high-performance human resources entails. Uh, In research on HR configurations and performance, two approaches may be distinguished. The content approach looks at the 
specific set of human resource management HRM practices necessary for achieving an organizational goal, uh, while the process approach looks at the features of an HRM system that sends signals to employees that allow them to understand the desired and appropriate responses from a collective sense of what is expected. Wow, so, got it. <laughs> so is it just me or do you get the sense that the author is just trying to cram the military <laughs> structures into like HR definitions? Yeah, they're, they're, they're comparing two things that do not go together. Um, and making very generalized views as well, making generalized statements about like how it was in each each force, which we'll get on to. Oh, um, yeah. But yeah, it's just a it's just a very weirdly written like those two approaches not previously mentioned there. It's like, yeah, so there's two approaches. This is what the first one means, this is what the second one means. Got it? Okay, we're moving on. After there's such smooth entry into the paper with the itinerary, then suddenly this sentence just comes up, creeps up behind you. But, just, it, but it's very important. It's just like it's yeah, hidden. It's the just there. Second yeah. paragraph of the <laughs> second There's no section. like pay attention. Just yeah, so by the way, this is what the two key concepts mean. You will need those later. Um, but don't tell anyone. So it goes on about two uh two approaches, also two fundamental parameters may be distinguished. The direction in which practices are configured and the degree to which practices are configured. So now I have this whole giant thing highlighted because <laughs> now we're gonna learn what high performance yes. HR practices. So finally. High performance human resource practices may be distinguished from traditional HR practices by including three components. So I guess this is assuming that you know what traditional HR practices entail. <laughs> uh, structuring the organization. I, I added that bit. That's not from the, the author. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> no, number one, basically what you're saying. the organization <laughs> in such ways uh, that skilled and motivated employees are directly involved in determining what work is performed and how this work gets accomplished uh, by employee empowerment and participation systems, team-based production system. What? Oh, there's a comma. Sorry. You can do this, Sean. I'm with <laughs> you all the way. Production systems and by providing job security. Number two, enhancing oh employee skills by improving the quality of new employees through sophisticated selection procedures and or by improving the quality of current employees through comprehensive training and development after hiring. Number three, enhancing employee motivation by implementing merit pay, uh, incentive compensation and performance management systems and by protect protecting them from arbitrary treatment. Done? Got it? Listen, yeah. are you with that's, us still? That's what that is. Wow, that's lots of words to say, not a lot. Yeah, if they're if they're good, we give them stuff. Uh, <laughs> they get to make decisions. We give them a raise, uh, and we give them extra training. Yeah. So that's good. Completed it. Um, as I said earlier, evidence suggests that high performance HR practices generally have a more positive effect on employee attitudes and behavior, um, and other stuff. 
But regarding degree of configuration, research has been directed at the question whether the effect, a question of, I would say, whether the effect of HR practices on organizational performance is stronger the more closely they are configured. So basically, if you're more organized, are your practices better? Yes. Um, that's kind of the research view on that. So fail to prepare, prepare to fail in it. Um, so that's good. Can we move down to uh, to point three here? The German and U.S. armies in World War Two. This is where the paper really starts coming into its own. Um, so <laughs> we, yeah, we have to like include this part just to like. Yeah, there's a lot of heavy reading first for what comes later. As some like background or like what the heck. This person's doing so when comparing army organizations in terms of HR practices, I, the author, contend that two uh, fairly contrasting oh. cases uh, stand out from the historical and military literature the German army and the US army. The former uh, concentrated more on fighting power superiority uh, based on principles of flexibility and adaptability, uh, adaptability. and geared. What? <laughs> Why am I reading all this? And <laughs> <laughs> maximum operational effectiveness. We can't stop you. <laughs> <laughs> maximum operational effectiveness, yeah. So, so this basically what Sean said there in many words is that that he's going to talk about the German and US Army approaches. And they're different in right. World War Two. Um, and so the author I'll got. Don't do it again. No, they got a bunch of different sources because this is like I thought the whole thing was going to be a literature review, and then it like kind of deviated from that, but not a lot because he like used someone else's methodology and just applied it to like specific things. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so they got sources between February two thousand five to June two thousand nine. Uh, Pi Carta, Web of Science, Google Scholar, and Google using the, same things. the search terms Army Organization, U.S. Army, German Army, Army Performance, alone that, and in various combinations. Only so, four terms. That sounds like something we would do to find freaking episode papers. I mean, that is what I do. <laughs> this is just describe my process. So that's that's good to know. We're like one step closer to writing one of these. Um, is that, apparently, is that a spelling... step that we want to be taking. <laughs> well, I, I don't know. I mean, what's Picarta? You never know. It's good to have backups. <laughs> um, so yeah, here's something I'm going to explain rather quickly to hopefully let us jump ahead. What he thinks. And what he's found is that the German army, which I was surprised, I thought this would be the opposite. The German army was um, focused on overwhelming the enemy with like lots of force and superior fighting and toughness and rah. But in this author's eye, or according to the research, the American army tried to be more organized and targeted and didn't really care for like um, morale. Uh, no, they cared about morale, but in an intelligent way. And they, they were saying that the Americans were more intelligent and measured. And, and usually you'd think Germans are pretty organized, you know. And he says the opposite. 
then you're just stereotyping so who knows well i thought maybe i genuinely the thought i came kept away with was world war Two made the germans more organized they thought next time this happens we got to be bloody better organized than we were in this war but they yeah it was very much a like grouping people together so you have like a very like a team spirit team building yeah. versus army building like sport yeah mm. and contrary to popular belief war is not a picnic oh or a football match you do hear it's a war out there yeah no, it's not it's, it's a field battle <laughs> who died eric jemba jemba looks fine what a player um so yeah, that's that whole paragraph at least done. We need to we need to get moving. I know. There's so many. All right. You've said <laughs> they, like it's just a like a things. bunch. Yeah. yeah. It's just like a bunch of different citations saying the same thing. I'm wondering if these are all cherry picked though. The one thing on this page we need to highlight is the fact that this paper made it um, despite this sentence. Yeah. This feature was reinforced by the fact that after Pear Harbor. The army had to be largely rebuilt in a short period of time, which was only possible through centralized steering decision making. Pear Harbor, that famous uh, battle. Quite ironic that I'm criticizing a spelling mistake and I mispronounced harbor when I said it. That's it's kind of ruined it. But you get the idea. Well, like, you, like I don't remember um, <laughs> Pear Harbor at all. Like, I'm not an expert on the war, but what, when did this happen? If this is, like, such a big thing. Yeah. This is like the Battle of Shroot Farms. It's just this <laughs> lost battle. Pear Harbor. And that was it. Then the U.S. They, were in. They had, to, they had to completely rebuild the army after Pear Harbor. <laughs> Pear Harbor. And then I wonder if that was before or after Pearl Harbor. That would be fucking difficult to do it twice. There's oh, wow. Too many peas. Yeah. The best part about this, and I can't wait any longer, is that at the end he thanks the reviewers um, for their <laughs> really. Quite... We're halfway through. Yeah, it. but like, yeah, I bet he did thank them. Some of the mistakes he's made. Pear Harbor. Wow. And yeah, you you can forgive like a spelling mistake somewhere, but something's so <laughs> important. But how did that even happen? so many people have looked at this anyway that's all i wanted to highlight on this page it says a lot of the same things over and over again basically what i've already explained <laughs> so, yeah um, so and they so the the german military kept the same people together from like the same areas of the country where the u.s just drafted people and sent them to wherever there was vacancies so like team building versus army building i guess it is like sport, like the two different organizations of sports. America, they draft people, they just go wherever they're sent. Whereas yeah. in in Germany, you probably get more local players. That's interesting, isn't it? Sport reflecting war. That, wow, there's there's the paper. Stick with me, Max. We better get there before he does. Okay, so there's lots of German words coming up for you to pronounce. Oh, really? Where would you like to start? Which I went one? down to page four. On page four. Okay. Section three point two. Enhancing employee skills. <laughs> I guess they're employees. Employee skills. 
Were they employees when they were drafted? That's a it weird... doesn't sound like it. So in Imagine the German just... army, men were selected, <laughs> trained, and organized in ways that enhanced the unit cohesion and morale rather than organizational efficiency. The selection of recruits occurred in local centers by a physician and a selection officer who carried uh, on a brief conversation with every recruit to arrive uh, at a personal judgment of the character of the man involved. Imagine just one sentence ruins it. Fuck. I'm not really that into Pokemon. <laughs> no. Front line. Stupid, uh, stupid. The admission, yeah, to specific branches was based on physical condition, education, previous occupation, uh, and expressed wishes. It's like the sorting hat. I want to be a Gryffindor. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He wishes. Please, not Slytherin, not Slytherin. Slytherin! Unlucky, you dickhead. Um, yeah, so that's something. Um, so, what I wanted to say was, can you imagine, they call them employees. Can you imagine if you're just walking past a shop and it was legal? They're only a few steps away now. Um, someone just comes out and grabs you and like, you're an employee now! Well, they get the vest on you and that's it. You've been drafted by Superdrug. Welcome to welcome to Walmart. We've drafted you. How long before? How long before they start drafting people into work? We drafted Not long. You. Not long. Uh, amazing. Okay. Um, you've already explained about the replacements. What What about the German word though? We forgot about that. Um, feel replaced. Hang on. Hang on. Hang on. We've met, we've messaged right up. Let me do the English first. Oh. And at least then the listener will know what they're we're, listening well, I to. thought we were going to let the listener guess. Oh, that would have been a better idea. Okay, go on. They might not have heard me. Mine went Italian at the end. As in mine. So, well, do we wait for the listener to guess now? Or? Yeah, we're just waiting for the phone lines to light up. So it was field okay. replacement battalions. <laughs> um, yeah, but, well done. But that's like field place battalion, though. I knew you were going to do this. <laughs> yes, Felder, Sats, 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 Battalione. Battalione. Mm. Yep, three words in that word. Um. So replacements were mainly used to set up new divisions rather than to bring existing divisions up to strength. This practice turned divisions to cohesive, tightly knit units with considerable fighting power. Um, yeah. Not to go on too many tangents, but I was thinking that if you saw someone you really liked die, then it would probably damage your morale more than if you just saw some number die. I thought the exact same thing wow. reading this because it was like, so they put you together and like, you essentially you're friends with all these people you've trained together you've gone through everything because you go to battle all your friends get fucking killed yeah. and you go home on your leave like you're just gonna kill yourself it's a fucking awful summer camp although you never see friends again after that either do you so it's kind of like war <laughs> not the midfield battle it's summer camp <laughs> summer camp yeah <laughs> World War II was just summer camp. Imagine that's what cancels us. Well, 
We had um, a good run. Yeah, yeah. Um, so <laughs> there's another German word now. Uh, Marsh Battalion. <laughs> <laughs> they like beforehand lead you on to it. Self-sustained marching battalions, Marsh Battaliona. Um, led by officers of the receiving division. So just complete a, a like-for-like substitution. Yeah. Um, a thousand men just pour in. But in the U.S. Army, men were selected, trained, organized in ways that enhance organizational efficiency, um, yeah. didn't care about morale. So they just slotted people around wherever they wanted to, and they moved them around every um, every so often. I can't remember what that is, to make sure they weren't getting too chummy with their fellow comrades uh the selection of recruits occurred uh, in an assembly line matter with different physicians each examining different body parts at the end a psychiatrist rapid rapidly firing <laughs> short questions of the do you like girls type yeah you know that type oh, okay <laughs> what is that type <laughs> yeah like is he making what is that what what is that Van Creveld knows. Van Creveld knows a lot on this page. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, the most skilled and talented people went to the Air Force, ASF, and Airborne Troops, while <laughs> the remainder, um, the the recruits possessing a skill or trade, were um, assigned to a similar mili- military job, leaving the regular infantry <laughs> with the relatively least educated, skilled, and physically fit personnel. Um, God, that's dark. Cannon fodder. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you're fodder. You ever called someone fodder and really meant it? <laughs> no. <laughs> Imagine how angry you have to be. You're you're fodder. If there's a war, they'll shoot you first. <laughs> it's pretty. You'll grim, be selected. <laughs> you, my friend, will be selected to be shot first, based on your intellect. <laughs> oh, fodder. Absolute fodder. Um, since the U.S. divisions had no equivalent of Feldersetz Battaliona, replacements were expected to receive their advanced training from veterans, um, which was another thing they did differently to the Germans. So after their basic training, replacements traveled individually to replacement depots, then to overseas theater depots, and from there, often directly to divisions, a move taking four to five months, whereas the U.S. divisions... Oh, lost it. The US divisions had no equivalent of a marching battalion, and the men were simply distributed among the units. I feel like they've already written that. A lot. So, we're going to move down a little bit further. Um, so, are we enhancing employee skills, selection, and training of officers and non commissioned officers? Um, hang on. So, in the German army, officers were selected on the basis of character rather than intelligence and trained towards. Uh, decisive combat 3. leadership. 3. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. As we've said. Uh, uh, although in the course of the war, a shortage of officers developed, uh, the German army in general did not compromise on their, their quality, preferring uh, competent junior or no officers over incompetent ones based on their criteria <laughs> wow. of having decisive combat leadership and not necessarily being intelligent being a character which is now how the u.s elect their leaders and the uk you know i guess i suppose i suppose you would want 
somebody that's going to tell you what to do if you're like panicked in a situation instead of them panicking themselves one imagine if the idiots knew they're idiots how much easier things would be oh let me get that for you i'm an idiot but like (laughs) you gotta you gotta tell them it's kind of like if if you just let people go around their whole lives and nobody tells them that they're an idiot (laughs) it's not really their fault I'm going to remind you of that next time I see you. <laughs> you told me to be honest. <laughs> no, I agree. Uh, so this this part I thought was kind of interesting. So the closer yeah. units were to the front lines, the more officers they contained. This is the German army. Uh, so in 1944, officers made up 3% of the field army uh, and 2.4% of the replacement army. Uh, inside an infantry division, they formed 3.3%. Uh, the strength in combat elements and 1.9% of the service and replacement elements. Why would you put your officers close to the front line? Doesn't make any sense. I don't if you know. Really I think the structure. I, I, I might, yeah, I might be going off off script here, but I think like part of the German tactics were to kill enemy officers. Yeah. Well, yeah, but that's what that's what everyone's tactic was, wasn't it? So I guess then if you we, got. If everyone's an officer, then you got to kill everyone. You're an officer, yeah. You can't kill all of us. Oh, they did. Um, probably as a consequence, German officers' chances of being killed were almost twice as high as those of soldiers and NCOs. Imagine you get promoted. You're an officer now. Fuck! Duck! Yeah. It just gets, like, suddenly a gunshot Seriously. through his shoulder. They're, <laughs> yeah, promoted not on the basis of intelligence, so it's like the intelligent people are like, I'm not a good leader. It's more like Sorry. the Judas kiss. It's like, you're going to die soon. There you go. And that's it. Okay. Um, there's lots of information here. I feel like a lot of this information is just kind of there. Um, One, it's all, like, this is all conveniently or not conveniently placed in, like, the period of World War Two where the USA was involved. Yeah, exactly. And... Th- We'll get on to that as well, because they talk about uh, Montgomery's campaign. It was such a joint effort, and he just isolates it just to talk about the U.S. It's like the, that one is like the definition of like, I've met people before. My, I know that my my great uncle was on that campaign. And like our, even even our colleague Adam is like, yeah, my his grandfather was. Uh, yeah, his grandfather, I think, was Welsh and he was there as well. Everyone was there. But no, we're going to isolate the. Uh, can I isolate the American forces? There are Canadians well, there. Well, probably, everyone, probably everyone because the uh, Commonwealth and Allied forces had yeah. different HR departments. All right, and then this brings me on to my next point. <laughs> how, <laughs> how different were they? Um, <laughs> did did Blimmin, uh, a tiny country that I can't think of now, have their own HR? Just I don't one. think so. Just a single HR rep. HR and secretary and building owner. Uh, in the U.S. Army, uh, officers were selected on the basis the of it. It's just the opposite of what we said, basically. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, we're, we're trusting that um, Max <laughs> has done their research uh, <laughs> appropriately. Very binary, Max. Um, so... Yeah. It's interesting that there's like zero overlap in the policies of <laughs> yeah. these two world powers at the time. 
I'll tell you what, uh, guys. Why don't we just do the opposite of what they're doing? See if it works. <laughs> Give it a go. <laughs> My God, I think he's got it. Yeah, so they had more officers further away from the front lines. What was that? The Americans did. Uh, <laughs> enhancing employee motivation, uh, personnel administration. So the German army, uh, they were allowed to have leave. Uh, they were given leave to the, the front line troops. Like we said, they could just rotate uh, a thousand people in. I was, but I actually think it's a good idea. I think it's a good idea, but as someone who's going on leave, it'd feel weird, wouldn't it? Like you have to—it's not like you're coming back from holiday; you're going back to fucking war. Like it's not ever going to be comfortable. You know, like when you go and see your family at home, it's like, oh, the, as soon as you get there, the clock's ticking for you to go home, and that's bad enough. Imagine you're going back to a fucking battlefield. That wouldn't be yeah. fun. We've trained. Be like seeing a ghost. They've like—they've broken your—they've broken your soul already. You're going yeah, to war, you, so yeah not really thinking just, about it it's just your job <laughs> good point it's your nine to five employees yeah. remember this is hr i'm a fighter man yeah which is what uh, in german you say ich bin ein fighter man something like that yeah probably close in so in the yeah in the german military they gave out a lots lots of awards for independent action and bravery uh but military justice was harsh and often draconian, uh, with 11,753 men executed for desertion and undermining morale. <laughs> it, it took about undermining morale, you're just fucking shooting your own soldiers. Just say that number again, because I really don't think it's registered, especially when we get to the US number. Uh, 11,753. 11, by their own men. A, a small city. Oh my god. It's fucking horrific. It's not that funny. Oh my god. Uh, uh, which probably yeah. led, probably, uh, <laughs> to relatively low desertion rates. Hmm, yeah, wonder wonder if that had an effect. Fuck. To be fair though, it took them a long time to figure it out, didn't it? Do you want to be shot by an American-made bullet or a German one? Where did Hansi go? Oh, he said he was deserting. Oh, maybe he made it. Like, how did they tell them that they killed the deserters? Because they wouldn't know, would yeah, they? Yeah, they would. They'd make a big freaking public thing about doing that. Hmm. That's amazing. I, of this paper, that's the most shocking thing I read. I'm trying to find the US number now. And the scroll keeps getting me. Uh... Yeah, so the awards in the U.S. Army were geared towards administrative efficiency rather than good combat performance. There it is. Got it. So, yeah, that happened. So, bear in mind, 11,000-odd executed for Germany. The average waiting time for the high class of decoration was between five and six months. Military justice was lax and lenient, with 70 men executed, almost all for civilian offences. I mean, it still seems quite high to execute people. Like, 70 is quite a lot. But I don't know. People are executed over here all the time, aren't they? But um, 11,000 versus 70 is just shocking. It's incredible. That's very organized. And those are for civilian offenses. So, like, just imagine the horrible things that they're doing to actually warrant that execution. Is that like when it's dishonourable, the military do it? 
like you do something really disgusting and or like in their eyes disgusting and then the military get to take over you get court-martialed i think in this particular case they'd probably just blast you ask questions later but how do they record these if that's the case what what for though what kind of offense would that be nicking a chocolate bar Oh, I'm thinking like rape or like killing civilians. Well, that was my first thought too. Yeah. Okay. So if you rape someone, you get executed. That's. Well, I mean, I mean we're making sense. assumptions, but there's not even a citation on this seventy right, yeah. men. So. I want to know. All what we can do is make serious... assumptions at this point. What could the and what did the eleven thousand do for the German army? That's that's better question. They panicked and said, we're losing. I'm out. No, you're not. <laughs> oh, I mean, you are, just differently. Um, okay, for several reasons, the Italian campaign between September 1943 and June 1944 suggests itself as a good example of uh, of, of these of HR models. Um, yeah, first, very, it affords a comparison. Of, um, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, the, the Allied plan. Yeah, like the complete joint uh, anyway, of German and U.S. Army performance at a time and place in which Allied naval and air superiority did not yet have a decisive impact on ground operations. Um, <clears throat> yeah. Uh, to be sure, the initial landing at and securing of Salerno Beachhead was decisively aided by Allied naval and air bombing. But in later engagements, the rugged mountainous terrain and adverse weather conditions made Allied naval and air support much more difficult. Um, so that's the kind of background. Again, this was, I, I really think they could have picked a better campaign, but that's fair enough. Uh, yeah, they're talking about this Italian campaign. Let's move down even further. Let me find. Got lots of maths coming up, Sean. Um, was, wow. was there any of this maths that, I mean, what, what do you think about the maths? <laughs> I honestly don't know what to make of it. Like, what? It's just like some guy, what's this guy, Dupai? Dupai, Memphis, <laughs> not Memphis. It's like, uh, came up with this, their own measurement for uh, <laughs> battle outcomes and combat power. And uh, yeah. Visser here just ran with it. So do you think, I read this and I went down my own rabbit hole of like, could we go back and score every war based on like, Pi's model and find out we could do like league tables yeah i'm sure you could be dark Based on this, it would be I'm interesting not, i'm not saying that this is correct though it's just a way to do it and then uh the author that we're reading has decided to use that way of doing it as well like vanuatu would be getting relegated wouldn't they they'd be in trouble i don't know how many how many combats have they been in well that's a good question and that would be where the league table would come in. Games played. Um, goals scored. It would, all, it would all be on the the rates, though. So it wouldn't really be goals scored. They'd be, um, mm. yeah, it'd be positive and... Or not positive, negative, but above one and, and below. Below one, yeah. Expected kills. XK. Why is it expected if it's X? It should be E. Anyway. Because of EG, it's different. So, it means something yeah, else. Well, yeah, well. Any else on the numbers? Well, we should try to explain them, right? <laughs> okay, well, good luck. Uh, I'm so with you set, all the way. Seven US and 13 German 
uh, divisions were involved in 32 engagements that only involved U.S. divisions. Uh, this is in the Italian campaign. Uh, and the U.S. divisions enjoyed an average numerical superiority of about 80% over their German counterparts. Um, the first measure uh, from the Stupai Combat Effectiveness Value, CEV, and they didn't do a very good job. They like jumped around on how to explain this. Uh, so it's concerned with the ratio of relative combat outcomes and combat power. The formula is defined as CEV equals RG divided by RA uh, times PG divided by PA. Um, where the uh, subscripts Absolutely. are Germany and America? Mm. Yeah, okay. probably. Okay, so let's see. Let's f let's see if we can find what those values R and P mean. So we'll go to a different paragraph. R represents result. So that's if the the actual outcome uh, of the engagements are defined by three sub measures. Great. Mission accomplishment, wow. um, uh, spatial effectiveness, gaining or holding ground, uh, and casualty effectiveness. So now, now like there's multiple even layers within these. So I'm, I'm sure this is really robust stuff. Oh, and P is S times V. So let's find what S and V are. Uh, here, <laughs> S represents like, fucking past the parcel. Yeah. Every layer gets deeper. <laughs> They could have they could just made a table and explain this really simply, but no, we have to search for letters. It's a word search or letter search, I guess. It's a fucking uh, letter so, search. That's what it is. Uh, so S represents force strength, um, uh, quantification of the lethality of all weapons used, uh, subdivided into infantry, artillery, armor, and air support weapons. How would you assign a number to that? Fuck knows, man. And V, uh, here it is, uh, represents the variables affecting the employment of the force under the circumstances existing at the time of engagement. <laughs> okay, good thing they explain it, because who knows what that means. That's clear. Uh, these variables include tangible factors like posture, terrain, weather, mobility, and vulnerability. Uh, and intangible, great, intangible factors like leadership, training, experience, morale, and logistics. How can you say it's a variable to also intangible? Literally <laughs> exactly. impossible to do that. <laughs> Can't measure it, but we've measured it. <laughs> I missed that on the first time, actually. What's that? That's fucking ridiculous. <laughs> okay, so they've, they've measured it. So let's yeah Leadership they've done the impossible uh so let's uh did i miss any of these letters probably okay so on average in these 32 engagements uh the cev subscript g of 1.30 <laughs> or cev subscript a uh, of 0.77 seems to indicate on whole the Germans were about 30% more combat effective <laughs> than the US. Nice. 30% more combat effective than the US. Yeah. I just enjoyed your German there. You got French for a second. Yeah. You're welcome. Mm. 
Okay, then there's a whole table detailing every battle from the campaign that they have selected. The, yeah, that they've handpicked. Hmm. Selected engagement. Handpicked US German engagements Sele- in Italy. Was, yeah. No, it's just selected engagement. No, I'm saying they handpicked because they picked the ones that they wanted. There's no, more. I'm saying... this, this that's what data that's set. the term they use, though, isn't it? Selected engagement. In air quotes, had what, like 90 actual battles? Oh, yeah, um, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. They're saying, no, we didn't handpick them. We just, whatever I said before, selectively something. Yeah, yeah, something. Something, something, something. Yeah. All right. Okay, well, anything, that's done. Anything catch your eye on this table? Because I said what, oh. on average, because I mean, we can. So let's see which ones. Look, spoiler alert, the Germans lost the Second World War. Yeah. And this guy thinks it's a a lot to do with HR because because of that. No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying that the Germans were better fighters because of HR, but somehow they're still lost. Their HR was more primitive. They might have been better fighters, but they should have been better organized in HR. Did you not read the conclusions? I've read it, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Um, they say that the... Oh, what is it? Yeah, casualties per day. Mm. That's another measure they used. That's a cheery measure. Yeah, I don't know if that's at all that important. They also say the U.S. got better. Uh, yeah, showed some improvement. And- they went on and they, they said that, that it was because the U.S. soldiers learned and got better. And my thought was, well, maybe if you, you killed all the, the Germans that were doing all the fighting and they started sending soldiers that weren't quite ready Killed for fighting. The bloody officers. Got yeah, killed, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it just got really easy after the first couple of battles. There were more of them, but they were a lot less organized. Yeah, so it got easier for them. They adapted and improved push their way up the lead table and then there's another table that one is the uh the casualties right casualties per day yeah yeah so there was an average numerical superiority of us over german forces from 121 to 61 percent um providing further indication of us troops learning to fight more effectively just to support that previous statement right yeah case in case any of what we've discussed today was ever in doubt yeah that's it now proven uh it goes on there's i mean again <laughs> they talk about the second measure score effectiveness value um which it, it just seems very grim um it's not concerned with outcomes and weapons just counts the number of men and daily number of casualties right just calm down killed wounded missing <clears throat> wounded though casualty well yeah, they're not fighting anymore Oh, okay. Take some off the game, right? Yeah. Mm. Um, scores calculated. That would be like your Call of Duty score, I'd imagine. And uh, the score effectiveness is calculated by dividing the score by a constant, the value of which depends on the number of interacting factors. Um, So many factors. Like none of this is explained. So, (laughs) like, if you if you're still listening, you're going, what are these guys talking about? We don't know because the author didn't actually explain it to us. Yeah, exactly. 
We're lost in a haze of attack, delaying resistance, hasty defense, prepared defense, and fortified defense. That's where we're at. We're almost there. Um, So normally, um, it talks about the division of forces, which they've already talked about. Um, Apparently, there were 32 engagements between US and German forces in Italy, an average SEV of 1.33 to 1. Or corresponding SEV of 0.75 to 1. So that's clear. Seems to indicate that on a, ma- a man-for-man basis, the German troops inflicted casualties at an average 33% higher rate than they incurred from the opposing US troops. However, Sean, as Table 2 indicates, on this measure, the US forces showed signs of development and adaptation. Where have we read that before? As well as during the nine months under consideration. Wow. And also... I, oh, I guess no. I guess they did control for their uh, attack and defense postures. That's right. So it's one of the variables in there somewhere. Yep. If if you think it's in there, it is. Um, I'll uh, I'll t- take their word for it. Yeah. Okay. You kind of have to. We're, we're right at discussions and conclusions. Yeah. Finally. <laughs> yeah. Um. This is, this is some heavy stuff. Thick read. Thick read. So in this paper, it's been argued that in the German army in World War II, HR practices, there's no HR on a battlefield, were configured in a rather high-performance direction. Put succinctly, this army's doctrine of war concentration on fighting power superiority based on principles of flexibility and adaptability geared at maximum operational effectiveness and emphasised the need for decentralised decision-making to adapt to the fog of war. So the Germans, my point was, the Germans are running around just trying to literally blitz everyone. Um, but they got stuck in the fog of war because all their officers are up in the fog. So they need a more decentralized system. They need the manager to go and sit in the stands. With a headset? Yeah, like Sam Allardyce used to do. No no one does it. Why does no one do it now? Got made fun of too much, I'm sure. Yeah. Fenger used to do it. Ferguson, maybe? He got sent off a lot. He's just there because he had to be. Hmm. So that's Um, mainly the conclusion. (laughs) The differences in HR configurations between both armies could be reasonably related to battlefield performance, with the German army rather consistently outperforming the U.S. army, even in spite of its final defeat. Could be. We'll never know. How can you be consistently outperforming and you lose? You know, it's just just the way sports go sometimes. (laughs) Army... Army member who's been captured. They like to let him do an interview. <laughs> what do you think? Yeah, well, no, I'm not going to do that. Don't do that. <laughs> that that would be a. I just saw you look, looking down the camera like, what's he going to do here? Puts his drink down. <laughs> I looked up. <laughs> like, I thought we fought hard today. Uh, no. Um, so it's <laughs> so tempting. Um, these results are in line with the growing body of empirical evidence on the positive effects of configuration of high-performance HR practices. Yeah, <laughs> no, like what? That's good. Good to know. However, finally, oh, another so, one, another. However, so, okay. Yeah. <laughs> how, many, how many can we have in one freaking paper? It's like he's doing the disclaimer after the drug advert at this point. Oh yeah. However, some qualifying comments are in order here. Since other factors have played a role as well in determining... The, well, wow, that's a bad sentence. Since other factors have played a role as well in determining performance. For example, 
A factor favoring the Germans was geographical proximity, <laughs> with the US troops being forced to fight on remote battlefields. So again, the US kind of, I mean, they had lots of bases because the Allies were there, but you know. Um, <clears throat> German forces increasingly fighting relatively close to home in defense of their fatherland. Yeah, um, but like, you probably fight a little harder if that's your fucking house up the road. Yeah. Well, you're supposed to be stronger at home, aren't you? Well, depends. Got rid of the uh, the away goals rule, so... Uh, apparently, favouring the Germans, and this is, I think, controversial and rather worrying, away goals rule, that, that could be... Okay. Another factor favouring the Germans was the political factor. With the Allied forces consisting of multiple nations with concomitant... Wow. Um, yes. I'm honestly a friend like concomitant. Um, political complications and the German forces being led by one, at least in principle. <laughs> so he thinks that's an advantage. Well, but yeah, but that was the way that I understand it. Yeah, was the downfall in making bad decisions? Exactly. Yeah, you went mental. Well, you can but argue that, he, had he says that somewhere because he said like, oh, Hitler changed from the, he changed the HR tactics because that's yeah, centralized. He, if it's run by one man. Hitler was guilty of micromanagement. Didn't let the HR department do what they are doing. You gotta be careful when you talk about Hitler, Sean. I know. Yeah. Watch out. Should have delegated more. (laughs) (laughs) He, He just. He went insane. So how can it be an advantage? That's all I'm, that's all I'm saying That's there. not. But I mean, like, there's so much of this that it's just like, what are you on about? Oh, these, that side had more brains to help them. That was a disadvantage. They had to decide, take longer to decide the big decisions rather than just yeah. one guy going, you know what? After this bath, I'm going to blitz London. And no one's there to stop him. Like, that's a disadvantage. Just um, bad HR. But he, he thinks without their specific HR practices, the German army would have collapsed much earlier in World War Two. <laughs> right. It's HR. It, that was why. Uh, yeah, yeah, it was. <laughs> we should, uh, yeah, something to consider. Food for thought, anyway. Yeah. Um, there are a few German things you've gotten away without saying. I don't know if you want to. Let's go to, uh, in the years after Vietnam, the U.S. Army reorganized itself and actively came to embrace the principles of Aufregst tactic. <laughs> yeah. In HR practice, however, tendencies toward detailed command and control, an emphasis on organizational efficiency and high levels of trust in material technology to accomplish victory and con- combat remained clearly discernible. But they lost. They lost. Yeah. <laughs> so another, another losing approach. <laughs> um, <laughs> I feel like there's a trend. Yeah. Kenny Jackets managing this arm is a good way to lose. Um, niche joke there. So Very. The, the last thing I want to bring up, and I'll let you finish finish the German afterwards. Um, this word, denazification. Um, after 1945, the German army went through a period of denazification. You know, they took all the swastikas down, and kind of got the cleaners in. And they denazified the fuck out of it. Um, and then in the face of a growing Soviet threat in the beginning of the Cold War, they gradually were incorporated into NATO. So, you know, they, they came around. There's hope for us. 
in our messed up countries at the moment. Maybe we'll be reasonable Germany one day. I don't want the Nazi part first, ideally. Yeah, it'd be nice. Well, like, that's happened, so we should be able to just skip that step. Yeah, hopefully. Yeah. Um, yeah, do you want to finish with some German words? There's two more, I think, here. Inere Führung. Yep. And Wirtschaftswunder. So we had inner leadership, inere Führung, and uh, the uh, economic recovery of Germany, the Wirtschaftswunder. Mm -hmm. So, cool. Well done. Um, here are the acknowledgements, just because I mentioned them. <laughs> Everybody. <laughs> I think, because it's a like, solely written thing. It makes a big thing out of it. I'm doing this, but then thanks. Yeah, exactly. Why Why weren't yeah. any of these people's contributions good enough to earn their name on the, the top? <laughs> Chris Brewster, John Delery, Robert Koch, plays for Leeds, doesn't he? Eric Poetsma, um, Roel Schulterton, um, Aunt Serge, this is terrible, Stefan Zaglmeyer, and the associate editor and two reviewers for their stimulating and critical remarks <laughs> on earlier drafts of this paper, but not Pear Harbor. Yeah. That's a callback. Wow, that was the first callback in the episode right at the end. Good call. Um, and yeah, that that's it. So we got there. We could have done with the best HR guidance from Bob throughout that. I'm exhausted. I think like I think I need to get some paid leave or something. You need to access your inner Refura. Yep. Mm. So, uh, so wrong, buddy. And, well, I, I singularized it. So, singularized it. My inner leader. Yeah. Um, to get fucked, basically. Um, rating? Oh. I didn't like it. A one? <laughs> A one! Wow. Wow, wow. You just because you didn't like it. That's that's the explanation. Yeah. Okay, I'll go three. I thought there was some good information in here. Just didn't never got tied together. Good information. It was just copy and paste it from someone else's yeah. fucking thing. No, I enjoyed the copied and pasted uh, oh, info. Okay. Okay. Three. Words of wisdom. Um. Wow. Words of wisdom today. I think, yeah, I think you should, uh, whenever you listen to this, whenever your next work day is, take the time uh, to go and see your HR department and, and give them a big thank you, uh, you for care. all the work that they do for you. Yes, exactly. Let them know that you care, that they care. <laughs> what if they don't care? No one cares about HR. No one's ever grown up. Not, it's not the Gary Neville quote. No one's ever wanted to grow up and be bloody HR rep. Exactly. That's why they need, now more than ever, they need our appreciation. Now more than job. ever. <laughs> I guess so with the COVID stuff, maybe. You could actually be on something. All right, well, that, that's actually very wise words, Sean. Thanks for those. You're welcome. You never, uh, never fail to disappoint. Usually don't. No, I think that was an insult. Well, have a good day. <laughs>
that is your lot for this episode. Thank you very much for listening. Remember to subscribe and review. We hope you enjoyed it. One last reminder to email us, hello at academialight.com. Don't forget to like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Academia Light, and we'll see you next time.